in our New Testament lesson. Today comes from Acts. We continue to um, follow Acts as we, or, or not necessarily Acts, but just encounter the risen Christ um, on the road. And we look at different places where Jesus meets us on the road. And today we meet um, Philip, uh, meets a, a man who um, is a eunuch and who's from Ethiopia. A, a eunuch, two things to know about this. Um, one, Ethiopia. Where is Ethiopia in, in the scope of, of Acts and, and where they are in the world? Well, we may recall Ethiopia, Timbuktu. It's a really, really, really long ways away from wherever you are. My mom used to say to us, when we would pout, she would, we would poke all our mouths out, and she would sort of pop us on our, on our lips, and she would say, put your lips back in. I could walk to China on those things, meaning I could, I could walk to the ends of the world on that. Ethiopia, for, for these guys in Palestine, is a, at the end of the world. It's a long ways away. A eunuch. Um, a eunuch is a male. And they have either because of through surgery or through an accident, they have been redeemed uh, sexless. And so eunuchs um, often find employment serving royalty. Um, sometimes a surgery was not because they wanted, but all times not because they wanted, um, they were forced to have that surgery. And so they would find employment through royalty, especially with the queens. Um, where they would consider to, to not be a threat to the king at all, right? So <clears throat> they would have no other concerns. If you're a eunuch man, you have no wife at home. There's no one that you're trying to get home to at nighttime so you can um, streamline your favorite show on Netflix. No one's calling you at home saying, hey, we pick up a glass of milk, um, a cup of milk on your way home. Or, there's no band concerts to go to or baseball games to go to. The eunuch can put 100% of his attention to the, um, to the crown. In addition to that, so there's no threat as far as competition. There's also no sexual threats with the king. And so the king pairs them up with the queen, where they can be completely loyal, with no sexual threats whatsoever. With all that in mind, I invite you now to listen to the word of our Lord. It comes from Acts 8, 26 through 40. If you'd like to, you can follow along in your, your pew Bibles on page 127. Then an angel said to the Lord, the angel, excuse me, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the wilderness road. So he got up and he went. Now there's an Ethiopian eunuch, a, a court official of the Candace, the queen of Ethiopians in charge of their entire treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to the chariot and join in. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep who was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, silent before a shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. 
the eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does a prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scriptures, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. Now they had come, they had came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at the Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns, and he came to Caesarea. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. As a child growing up in Chicago, Stephanie de Sevilla found that the city helped her get to where she was going. If you've ever been to Chicago, every street usually helpfully is labeled with north, south, east, west, some direction, and they meet at really, really right tri- um, angles. And if all else fails, all you have to do is look over the um, Lake Michigan and think, ah, there's east. But when Miss De Silva moved to London in her 20s, she was utterly lost. She couldn't navigate to the restaurant that was just two blocks away from her apartment without using GPS. The streets were all crooked. And they came at all sorts of angles. I've lived here for six months now, she said, and I still don't know, know how to find any direction. I still don't know the direction that I'm facing at all. Now, scientists will tell us, in fact, the people who grew up in predictable grid-like cities, like Chicago, like New York, seem to struggle to navigate as easily as those from rural areas or more intricate cities. If you grow up in a place like Chicago, Buenos Aires, or, or Montreal, grid cities, you do not have to train as much for your navigation skills as if you were in those more complex cities like London or Paris, where the streets are more convoluted. Now, first century Palestine was not a grid-like area. But at the time of Acts, the life of walls dictating who was in and who was out was indeed a life of grid-like, dull, predictable despair. Not unlike the time we're facing today. Within three weeks, we have seen three mass shootings. One in a church, one in a grocery store, and one in an elementary school. And these are just the ones that made national news. In reality, over the last three weeks, we've had 21 mass shootings in the United States, three per day, two of them in North Carolina. These shootings left 96 injured and 57 dead, 153 lives altered, which doesn't include their family and their friends whose lives will never be the same again. 
a three-week period that is not unlike many other three-week periods in this nation of our grid, dull, predictable despair. And you want to think about what the next three weeks will look like? Just look at the last three weeks. Because our weeks are where we know what to expect in life. And you know what life will be like. And you know what your life will decidedly not be. And as we, as human beings, we can get used to pretty much anything, including despair and dullness and conflict and partisanship and mass shootings and lack of hope. This is the world that the Ethiopian eunuch lived in. And this is the world of Philip, pre-resurrection Jesus. And the first passage we read this morning uh, takes place on the night of Jesus' arrest. They had eaten supper together, the Last Supper. Jesus had washed their feet. They talked about the death that Jesus was facing. Jesus told them the greatest commandment at all is to, to love your neighbor. And then he tells them, don't be troubled. But believe in God. Believe in me. For Philip to ask Jesus, we won't be troubled at all if you would just show us the Father. Show us the Father and all will be okay. For Jesus to reply, you've been with me all this time and you still don't know me. In other words, you saw me. You saw me. You were there turning water into wine. You saw me cross over to Samaria. You saw me heal the sick. Give sight to the blind, make the lame walk. You saw me raise Lazarus from the dead and feed 5,000 with just a couple of loaves and fish. And yet, you still don't know me. In our predictable grid-like world, I wonder how many of us really know Jesus. It's one thing to know Scripture. It's one thing to know the stories of Jesus, to, to navigate through the Gospels as we navigate through the grid-like sh uh, streets of downtown Lillington. However, it's another thing to truly know Jesus, to get lost in the Scriptures, to, to be open to where the Holy Spirit will take us, and to, to see the Word turn flesh the most unpredictable, disruptive of landscapes. I wonder, I wonder how Philip changed. How did Philip go from thinking that he knew Jesus to knowing Jesus well enough to guide this man that he met on the street? I wonder how we at Billington Presbyterian Church can be a safe place for people to know Jesus. Perhaps we should begin with the questions that the eunuch is asking. The first question he asks is, how can I understand unless someone guides me? As the story opens, the eunuch, who is a relatively important palace official in Ethiopia, is in his chariot, 
returning from Jerusalem, where he has made the pilgrimage of in worship and has traveled as in his reading scriptures. Tom Long writes that the, the Bible often tells us about people who are insignificant in the eyes of the world, but who are royalty in God's eyes. This story, however, could easily have been precisely the opposite. Here is a man in a royal job, in a worldly court, who could have gotten the impression from the Bible that he was unwelcomed in God's court. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, makes it very plain. No one who is sexually mutilated shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. A passage I'm sure this Ethiopian man knew. A passage that probably kept him up late at night. A passage that haunted him. But the eunuch, the eunuch wasn't reading Deuteronomy. He was reading Isaiah. Isaiah gives him a more hopeful word. And not only does God announce that God's will recover the remnant that is left of his people from Ethiopia, but God promises that the eunuch will keep the Sabbaths, will welcome them into God's house, give them names better than sons and daughters. So which is it? Deuteronomy. Or Isaiah? Is he welcomed or is he not? It's a question that can be confusing to all of us. If we read the scriptures alone, uh, alone, how do we know what is true? Alone, how do we understand? Alone, we tend to turn God into our image instead of us into God's image. The eunuch needed to be guided, just like you and I, to know Jesus to be brought into a community where we guide one another. Not only do we guide one another, but we take the embrace of God. Reading this cold ink on the paper with the warmth and the light of God. The Montgomery bus boycott lasted over a year. And one year of people walking to work, walking to school, walking to appointments. And what people do not realize, the laws allowing people to sit where they wanted did not end because this boycott caused financial difficulties or from pressure within the town. The boycott ended through the judicial system. The Supreme Court ruled that in 1956, the, the lower court's ruling of the bus irrigation violated the 14th Amendment. One month after the ruling, that is when the bus boycott ended. The rumor after the ruling had it was a Thurgood Marshall who believed that the civil rights should be fought through the judicial system. Approached Martin Luther King, who thought, yes, we should use the judicial system, but also we should use peaceful protesting as well. The rumor is that the marshal comes to King and he says to him, um, now wasn't this a waste of time to make all these people for one year walk when you and I both knew this flight would be won in the courts, not the streets? Well, Marshall was missing 
was the journey. It's not either or, but it's both and. It's the course and the journey. To truly know Jesus, we must embrace the laws of the journey. Every step that they took in the rain, in the sleet, in the Alabama humidity was a step to empathy. To have empathy to those that were embarrassed, harassed, depressed, despair, dehumanized throughout all the years. We are changed as we walk and sit and study beside those that are in despair. To know Jesus is to be guided by law and love. To be guided by the stories of the Gospels, yes. But to be guided by the feet of Christ. Even when that takes you to a cross. Which leads us then to the second question the eunuch asks. About whom does the prophet say this? As a eunuch reads this passage of Isaiah, they describe someone that, like a sheep that was slaughtered. And whose humiliation justice was denied. He asked Philip, about whom is the prophet speaking? Himself or someone else? What is he really asking? What is he, what are we really asking? Is the word of God for someone else? Was the word of God for me today? The biblical word is never merely about back then. It's always a word to us at this very single moment within these circumstances today. Jesus on his first sermon said, today, the scripture must be fulfilled. But when the Philip guides the eunuch through Isaiah, pointing out that today the fulfillment has been completed, what the eunuch could not have imagined was that God also knew the pain and the anguish of being slaughtered. Not only does God understand the unit's experience. But Jesus took on that lowly and outcast state. And Philip reminds us that this passage in Isaiah is not only has to do with us, but also about Jesus, who himself was humiliated, who himself was denied justice and slaughtered. But for Jesus, and for all that follows Jesus, this is not the last word. Through Jesus, there's always hope. To know Jesus means our narrative is redemption and restoration and hope. This is how we refracture our lives. And we do it not by looking at each other for answers, but by looking to God. Everything we do begins with the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Our decisions are not based on the country that we live in. Our decisions are not based by the political party that we align ourselves with or holding onto power or to leadership. It's not based on our family or profits or the stock market. It's not even based on what church we attend. Our world is in so much pain. With all the pain comes so many questions. The answers do not come by looking at one another. 
They come by looking at God. There's a church out in Kentucky that was looking for answers and how to solve the declining membership. And they, so they took out an ad in the paper and they posted a big sign on the church long, state dinner and gun giveaway this Wednesday, 6 p.m. In the words of the church spokesman, they said that these evenings of steak and giveaways were, was their outreach to unchurched un- un- rednecks. As they lure the non-religious into the fold, the, the winners of the various guns would take that gun and they'd get a, a photo op with the church as the backdrop. Asked about this approach, a pastor, critical of this outreach idea, suggested that it was ironic uh, to use guns to lure men to hear the message about Jesus who said, put away the sword. Can you? Can you actually picture Jesus giving away a gun or a toaster or a raffle ticket or anything for that matter? Although he did give away one thing. He gave away his life. To know Jesus is to know that God so loved the world that God gave us his only son. Which leads us to the third question about the eunuch. What is to prevent me from being baptized? When you think about it, there are, were actually a, a pretty long list of reasons why um, he should not be baptized at all. First, he was living in Ethiopia. He was a, a cutoff from the land of Israel. Uh, second, he was a eunuch, which violated the purity code. And third, he was a member of the queen's uh, cabinet in Ethiopia, thus a member of the wrong sovereign. Wrong nation, wrong sexuality, wrong job. But when Philip was asked, uh, what is to prevent me from being baptized? Philip no longer had to guess if he had seen the Father or not. For he heard God's whisper in his ear saying nothing. Absolutely nothing. With that, the answer is grid-like, dull, right-angle predictabilities of the world were transformed, bears were removed, walls tumbled down, and who was in and who was out changed. For all who were lost, for all who have been humiliated, have been found, have been restored, have been transformed. To know Jesus is to be transformed. The needs of this world, Willemann has written, the suffering and the pain, it's just too expensive. The lures of this world too seductive for us to begin to change the world unless we ourselves are changed. Unless conversion of life and morals become our pattern. The status quo, too alluring. It's in the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, it's in the news that we consume, it's in our institutions, our theologies, our politics. The only way we shall break the hold on us is to be transformed from our predictable grid-like streets and cut loose 
of all of our old uncertainties and put ourselves under the GPS guidance of Christ. Our world, our nation, is in a cycle of right turns. And they have become deadly. As our nation goes in these circles, as we continue to debate who is right and who is wrong, there's nothing more obvious than the pain that we're all experiencing. As we yearn for the answer, asked by this man, who happened to be Ethiopian and a eunuch, what will prevent me from jumping off this cycle and joining God's complex, mystic, curvy, changing world? In other words, what he's asking is, am I worthy of God's love too? Where Jesus meets us at every right turn, emphatically says, yes, 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 yes. Now, there may be some people upset with me, but it's okay, because I know you. And I will love nothing more for you to know me too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.